welcome to another round of Sorted SF, the podcast about forgotten history and sketchy things that have happened throughout the city's history. I just wanted to kick off with some gratitude for all of you for tuning in and listening. Truly, every message I get from you guys telling me that you like laughed at something or letting me know that you also hate eggs is really meaningful and it really makes my day every single time. I got a notification from Apple Podcasts like a week or so ago that Sorted SF was ranked number 32 in the category documentary in New Zealand and then ranked 93 in the same category in the U.S. Um, I mean, I don't know how many documentary podcasts there are out there, but not too shabby, I guess. I don't know. So keep sharing, keep listening, keep telling your friends and leaving comments and ratings so that I can feed my ego and get the boost of serotonin I so desperately need. Thank you. I love you. Uh, so I've been binge listening to, I guess I binged it already. I finished it, the Twin Flames podcast recently, and I'm just so obsessed with all the people like they talk about in it. And so I just have to get on my soapbox and tell you, you have to listen to it. Uh, for those who don't know, though, like I feel that MGK and Megan Fox kind of brought it to the forefront of pop culture, but a twin flame is someone who is like meant to be your other half, like not a soulmate where you two pe- like where two people find their yin and yang person, like the yin to your yang, but someone like birthed from the same soul as you. So like, it sounds sweet. And like, I was kind of interested in the concept a while back and just like, you know, looking into it or whatever, seeing what, I don't know, seeing what it was all about. And then I got distracted, fell off, stopped caring. But the podcast is so incredible and documents these folks who just like take it way too fucking far. And they're taught by like these two people in the twin flame universe. They're the leaders of the twin flame universe that once you like have been told or decide who your twin flame is, you have to like claim them as your own, even if it means you end up going to jail or like have multiple protective orders taken out against you or alienate everyone in your life. Like it's so batshit crazy. And these people are absolutely nuts. Highly recommend the podcast. The host is actually Stephanie Beatrice, who plays Rosa on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And I think she's in like a bunch of other really good things. I've just never watched anything else she's been in. Uh, she's a really great host. And maybe one day I can host like her. We'll see. I also watch Bad Vegan. And I don't know what it is because usually that shit's right up my alley. But I really couldn't follow the story. Um, but I also watched it when I was about to fall asleep. So maybe that's why. I'll have to give it another try. Yeah, I didn't like I got it, but like not really. I don't know. The timing. I don't know. Couldn't figure it out. Uh so I'm recording this on the morning of Sunday, the 27th. I've had a lot of coffee. Don't know if you can tell. I've got my day planned. I got my week scheduled. I'm feeling good. I'm excited. I'm skiing tomorrow. Things are looking bright. And because of my fun mood, I wanted to do kind of a fun story. So like less death and more lighthearted fun. Yeah. So without further ado, so without further ado, let's jump into the story of the Hodling building. Uh, My sources for this episode include an article from Atlas Obscura um, from a blog called those pre pro whiskey men dot blogspot.com um and an sfist article 
as always, and a little bit of Wikipedia, a pinch of Wikipedia. We'll begin with a little backstory on Hodling. Anson Hodling was the third son and sixth child of Garrett A. Hoektailing. It's a Dutch name, so obviously I didn't say that properly. Um, But Garrett was a Dutch immigrant, and Anson's mom, Hannah Parsons, was a gal from England. He was born in 1828 in New Baltimore, a town in Greene County, New York. Anson attended local schools, but left during his teen years to work on his father's farm, but quickly grew bored of that and decided he would rather do almost anything else. After clerking briefly in a county store at about age 20, he discovered photography, which if you remember, it was only 1848 at this time, so photography was still kind of a mystery to a lot of folks. And brief side note, that it really fucked me up while I was doing research and like being reminded that the Civil War began in 1861, and that's almost like 25 years later than when, like, hmm, is that math right? Yeah, 25-ish, 23-ish years later. The gold rush had like come and gone by the time of the Civil War. And like, did anyone in California even give a shit about the Civil War? Like, were we busy doing other things? I don't know. I'm going to do some follow-up because like, I don't, what were we doing over here during the Civil War? Like, I have have no idea. If anyone knows, let me know. Uh, So back to Anson, whose name is like kind of fun. And I was listening to New Music Friday, like the New Music Friday playlist on Spotify yesterday. And there was a song by someone named Anson. So name isn't dead. And I just thought that was kind of like, oh, cool. Like, and now you found the story about someone named Anson. Moving on. So Anson decided that he liked photography. He had a bit of money from his clerk job, so he invested in good equipment and traveled throughout New York State taking portraits, and he kind of was really good at it. But like almost everything, he grew bored and wanted to spice up his life. So in 1852, after hearing about all the gold in California, he boarded a ship um, for San Francisco. And like... It's insane because to get from New York to San Francisco, you had to sail around the entire continent and around Cape Horn. Uh, But you got to do what you got to do to get that money. So obviously, to get around the Cape on an old-timey boat, you had to make a lot of stops. And one stop in particular was in Valparaiso, Chile. Yeah, Valparaiso. Somewhere. Uh, He met a crossroads. The race hound, the vessel he was on, was docked and stuck in this town for an extended period of time. So all the passengers kind of just got off the boat and had to fend for themselves while the boat was being repaired and refitted. So Anson really vibed with the Latin lifestyle, I guess. And he was like really determined to stay in Chile. Uh, But at the last second, he changed his mind and got back on board for California. I love thinking about like the what ifs in history and, you know, what if he had stayed in Latin America? Would he have become the same person that he did in California? Like, do our decisions shape our destiny or is our fate always unchanging? Like, if he had stayed in Chile, would he have been as successful or would he have had the life he did? I don't know. We'll never know. We'll never know. 
So Anton is now in California and heads up to the gold mines. He's over it real quick. And when it's within a year of arriving, is back in the Bay, clerking again, this time in a San Francisco liquor store owned by W.J. Griffin. And the liquor store is located on the corner of Sansom and Jackson. And that's where Anson's life begins, because he, you know, obviously had a very dull life up until this point. Uh, turns out he had a serious knack for selling booze. Uh, he worked for Griffin for several years and amassed a substantial amount of money. And in 1865, the now 37-year-old bought out his employer and opened his own wholesale liquor business under the name A.P. Hodling & Co. It was also around this time that Anson met his wife and married her. Her name was Lavina Lennon, which sounds like someone out of Clue. Uh, Lavina Lennon was the daughter of James Lennon, who was a well-known SF poet and writer at the time. He was 37, she was 21, and they had four sons together. And by this time, we kind of know Anson. We know he's always searching for something more. So he began a shipping venture, trading with both the South Sea Islands and settlements on the Pacific coast of Russia. Later, he expanded his trade to Australia. He bought a bunch of real estate throughout California, Oregon, and Washington, and also invested in iron and mercury mining. With his real estate dealings in the other states, he was able to expand Hodling & Co. Uh, like the directories indicate that he maintained a retail outlet in Seattle um, from 1889 till 1893, and in Portland, Oregon, from 1875 to 1887. His flagship booze was called Cutter, and was seriously advertised in newspaper ads and bar signs. Um, I've included some pictures of these on Instagram, so check those out. Pretty cool. Love a booze advertisement. Hodling remained at the Sansom and Jackson address for eight years and then needing like a larger space. He moved up to 429 through 439 Jackson Street, where the firm remained for the rest of its business life. There's a sign that like I wasn't able to find, but apparently there was a sign somewhere that showed like all his buildings like on the street. Um, like the one on the left was the sales office. On the right was the warehouse. By 1880, he was the largest liquor wholesaler in San Francisco with a sales volume of 1,750 barrels annually. I don't know how to gauge that, but if they say that was a large amount, then I guess that was a large amount in 1880. Hodling became a well-known figure in San Francisco and an active member of both the Old Fellows and Masonic organizations. He was written about in a 1881 book titled Contemporary Biographies of California's Representative Men. The author mentions Hodling's activity in SF society, as well as his support for leading literary and art associations in San Francisco, which makes sense since he was married to the daughter of a poet. Also in Hodling's write-up was a lot about his views on religion and his own religious beliefs. So here's a quote from the book. Contact with the world, and especially the world of California, in Mr. Hodling's case, as in that of many others, has led to extreme latitudinarianism, which I guess means he had no taste for organized religion and wasn't going to let organized religion control how he controlled his life. So the writer also says, quote, he believes that religion is a life, not a creed, that only a soul at liberty can be a liberal soul. 
That stiff zeal and uncompassionate rigor do not constitute genuine piety. That the religion most needed is that which takes hold on the daily life about us and promotes just dealings between man and man. So that was Odling's take. I kind of like it. Seems to be kind of, I don't know, holistic. Just be a good person. (laughs) Uh, Like religion doesn't, you don't need religion to not be an asshole. Anson Hodling actually died in 1899, right before the turn of the century, which honestly, like, must have been the biggest bummer ever. I remember my great uncle Bob died. When my great uncle Bob died, my mom was just like stoked because he had made it to the year 2000. He was like 98 or something insane when he died. So it was cool. He got to, you know, witness Y2K or whatever. Um, but being the savvy businessman Hodling was, obviously, it spent his children's like, formative years teaching them how to run the family business so that when he did pass his sons richard and fred took over the business like it ain't no thing and ran it just as well as dad had the business prospered in 1903 so this is four years after hodling passes and his kids take over ap hodling company sold the rights to the cutter name if you remember cutter was their flagship booze and they sold it to someone named sherwood and sherwood or a company named that and after the company's principal brand, like after that, Hodling's main flagship brand became Old Kirk. Uh, it was a pr- pr- uh, proprietary brand trademarked with the government in 1906. Uh, they also created other labels in addition to Old Kirk, including Hodling's Special Reserve, OPS Bourbon, St. George, OKA Number One Old Bourbon, and this fun one called death to imitators so now we're getting to the good part it's the early 1900s in san francisco and that means the 1906 earthquake i feel like there are two people two things people know about sf and that's gay and earthquake so the 1906 san francisco earthquake was absolutely devastating not only because of the damage the actual quake did but because of the fire that ripped the town shreds afterward Fires absolutely ravaged the city, and there was just, like, no way to save buildings. It was just mess after mess, and everyone was homeless, and the waterfront was flattened. 28,000 buildings, including City Hall and iconic mansions, burned to the ground. Uh, But not the Hodling building. His building was actually saved three times from the fire. The first time, the firemen noticed some, just, like, some firemen in the area noticed some smoldering embers just like on the roof of the building so he put those out on the second day of the fires the literal army came to save the government building that was located next door to his little whiskey compound but then realized they'd rather save the whiskey stash and then also you know booze is highly flammable so it would have just doubled their issues if they didn't prevent the whiskey from burning uh, the military got a hose and pumped seawater from the bay which is over a mile and 11 blocks away so like huge hose uh, they f- held the fire at bay like by pumping that seawater in for a while but after it was no longer doing the trick the third wave of saving the building building like started and that was getting the military and folks from now around the neighborhood and like the employees of hodling whiskey um, to pump up sewer water and sludge from the ground uh, it was obviously gross but it worked and it put the fire out and like everyone in san francisco 
obviously loved booze. So all the other liquor dealers had been like looted during this time because it was just pandemonium. But authorities authorities allowed Hodling to hire a hundred men to guard his compound. And not a single shot of whiskey was lost in the 1906 quake and the aftermath of it, which is just, I don't know, insane. Um, Local poet Charles Field described the disaster with a piece of wit that now decorates a plaque marking the site. Here it is. If, as they say, God spanked the town for being over frisky, why did he burn his churches down and spare Hodling's whiskey? Which is just a very fun poem. Um, Hodling's pack, like his family's pack heights mansion was blown up to stop the spread of the fire, which sucks. Um, and of course, in 1919, the entire business went under at the beginning of prohibition. But Anson's spirit lives on. The Hodling building no longer holds whiskey. And it's like a boring office of sorts, but it is SF landmark number 12 and the alley that it's located in where his whiskey compound was, was renamed like Hodling Street or Hodling Alley or something. Kind of a fun side note. I mentioned that 28,000 buildings and homes were destroyed during the earthquake, obviously rendering like (laughs) a lot of people homeless, Uh, but the city constructed thousands of shacks earthquake jacks, as they were called, and placed them in Golden Gate Park so that those who lost their homes had a place to stay, um, like full-on shantytown kind of thing. But, you know, it's the city doing things for their people, so can't, can't trash that. Um, and so once everyone was rehomed, most of, the, most of the shacks were destroyed so that their lumber, which was redwood, uh, could be repurposed. But a handful of the earthquake shacks were saved and moved throughout the city. And my uncle Bud owned one, and he lived in one that had been moved to Bernal Heights, which is kind of cool. It was like all original wooden stuff, not very spacious, as you can imagine, but a cool piece of history. Um, I always liked seeing that spot because it very SF earthquake shack moved from Golden Gate Park, built in 1906 to Bernal Heights. Like literally they just picked them up because there's no foundation. It's a literal shack. And the shack was just placed on like four little, maybe five. I don't know what they're called, but like stakes in the ground, cement blocks, and just like placed on top. And that was that. No foundation on the place. Uh, but anyway. That's the story of Hodling and his whiskey. I'd never heard of Hodling, but I also don't know shit about whiskey. So maybe if I had been a whiskey drinker, I might have been in the loop. I don't know. Either way, thank you so much for being here and listening. And I love you. I'll see you next week.